بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الحدي حدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So today's lesson from the Sheikh, Sheikh Ubaid رحمه الله تعالى is an explanation of the famous and mighty hadith the hadith of the man who killed 99 men and within this hadith there is the issue of repentance and the issue of the excellence of knowledge and the issue of rectification of the self there are many many benefits taken from this hadith by the by the ulama by the scholars in their shirukh in their explanations and in this explanation the sheikh is going to summarize for us maybe the essential four or five points to be taken from this hadith. And so the Shaykh begins by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending salat and salam upon our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his companions. And so he begins mentioning the text of the hadith and Abi Sa'id in Al-Khudri radiallahu anhu, so from the companion Abu Sa'id radiallahu anhu, anna nabiya Allah that the Prophet of Allah, he said, There was a man from those who came before you, and he killed 99 men. So then he asked, he then began to ask the people, who is the most knowledgeable? Who is the most knowledgeable in the affairs of religion from the people of the earth? So the people pointed him to a worshipper, a worshipper, an ascetic. And so he, so he came to him, he came to him and he said, and he explained to him, that he, he's killed 99 men. So does he have, is repentance open for him? Does he have repentance? So this Rahib, this worshipper said, La. He said, No. So the man, he killed him. And then he completed a hundred killings, a hundred murders, a hundred killings after killing him. Thereafter, then he again asked who is, is there or who is the most knowledgeable of the people of the earth. This time, he was then directed to a man who is a scholar, a scholarly man. So then he went to this man and he said, that he killed a hundred men. Is there any repentance for him? So 
the, the man who is the scholar, فقال, نعم. He said, yes. ومن يحول بينه وبين التوبة? Who is there to come in between him and repentance? And then he began to advise him, go to a certain ard, انطلق إلى أرض كذا وكذا, go to such and such a land, فَإِنَّ بِهَا أُنَاسًا يَعْبُدُونَ اللَّهِ فَاعْبُدِ اللَّهِ مَعَهُمْ وَلَا تَرْجِعْ إِلَىٰ أَرْضِكَ فَإِنَّهَا أَرْضٌ سُوْعٌ He said, because there are a people there who worship Allah. So worship Allah alongside them. And do not return to your land, to your own land, because it is an evil, evil land. So then he went, he departed following the advice of this alim, of this scholar. So he said, فَانْطَلَقَ حَتَّى إِذَا نَصَفَ الطَّرِيقَ أَتَاهُ الْمَوْتِ So he left until he came to the middle of the path. And then death came to him. So then the angels of mercy فَاخْتَصَمَتْ فِيهِ مَلَائِكَةُ الرَّحْمَةِ وَمَلَائِكَةُ الْعَذَابِ So the angels of mercy and the angels of punishment began to dispute with each other regarding him, regarding his, his out, you know, who's going to take him. So, uh, so the angels of mercy, they said, this man came, he came as a repentant man, and his heart, he turned it to Allah. And the other angels, the angels of punishment, وَقَالَتْ مَلَائِكَةُ الْعَذَابِ The angels of punishment, they said, إِنَّهُ لَمْ يَعْمَلْ خَيْرًا قَطْعًا This man has not done any good whatsoever. So these are the two arguments between the two angels. So then another angel came, فَأَتَاهُ مَلَكٌ فِي سُورَةِ آدِمِ in the form of a man. So they made him to be the judge between the two disputing angels. He said to them, measure between the two lands. So whichever of the two he is closer to, then that will be his that, that will be his his ruling basically the land of evil or the land of good that he was setting off to so they measured and they found him so they measured and they found him to be closer to the earth to the land to which he was intending to travel so it was the angels of mercy who then took his soul and um, and then some uh, addition at the end قَالَ قَتَادَ قَتَادَ said فَقَالَ الْحَسَنَ that Al-Hasan said ذُكِرَ لَنَا أَنَّهُ لَمَّا أَتَاهُ الْمَوْتَ نَأَى بِصَدْرِهِ so look at the addition at the end of the hadith hadith reported by Bukhari and Muslim and this wording is the wording of Muslim now the Shaykh, rahimahullah, he says, hadith qadir al-qadar. This is a mighty hadith, uh, has a great status, and it has yahwi usulan wa qawaida fil wa'ad wal manhaj wal aqida fawaid azima. 
This contains many, many important foundational principles, rules, in relation to how you admonish, and also in terms of methodology, also in terms of aqidah. It has many, many beneficial points in, in these subject areas. So the shaykh goes on to mention, first of all, al-fa'idatul ula, the first benefit. What is the first benefit? He says, first of all, this benefit, or this, this hadith, is actually in relation to Bani Israel, the nation of Bani Israel. And this we know because Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, in his particular report of this hadith, the wording is slightly different because in that hadith it says, Kana fi Bani Israela rajulun. Right? So the explicit mention of the Bani Israel. And the Bani Israel, they are the offspring of Ya'aqub, alayhi salam, who is the son of Ishaq, who is the son of Ibrahim, alayhi salam. The Bani Israel in that time period, they were from the best of the nations. Allah He favored them and He honored them because they were upright upon Tawheed and upon, uh, upon Tawheed. And they have a history, a checkered history, as you know, uh, that after the time of Musa, السلام, uh, when they were delivered from Fir'aun, they were affected very strongly by the idolatry, the shirk and all of the influences that, that they had while being subjugated by Fir'aun. And as a result of that, they harmed Musa السلام, quite a bit as we, as we read in the Quran in terms of their disobedience and um, you know, being pedantic and so many other things. And after that time, uh, the situation increased in, uh, you know, in, in gravity uh, wholesale apostasies when they were ruled by their judges uh, and then in the era of the kings same thing wholesale apostasies and you know taking the ways of the of the surrounding nations and so on and so forth so it's a, it's a long long history Allah sent to the many prophets uh, to rectify them and among them there were there were righteous people obviously there were, there were prophets many many prophets and there were righteous people and so we see uh, that the messenger of Allah himself mentioning, in this case explicitly from the, from the Bani Israel, a benefit and a story in which there is, there is an admonition. So the Sheikh goes on to say that some ignorant people who play the role, who basically are in, they, 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 they stand on the, the minbar and they admonish the people, right? So they are admonishers. And they do so without implementing a sound shari principle, which is that instead of relying upon authentic narrations, sound narrations, in order to convey to the people, they bring these reports and stories which don't have any basis. They don't have any basis. And often these stories, they are either things which people see in dreams and which they, which they are then uh, reported or they are fabricated a hadith which have been invented and then ascribed to the messenger of Allah <clears throat> and then they use these texts in order to justify their corrupt methodology with the likes of these hadith so then when you tell them, or they say that how can you prohibit us 
from doing such and such when we read in the story such and such but the story is not authentic it's not an authentic narration and then they use these stories or these whatever it might be um, as a means to justify their methodology so the sheikh says um, the sheikh says that first of all there are many many things that you people are guilty of there are certain rulings that follow on from the fact that you are using these texts as, 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 as an argument. First of all, you are ascribing the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you are ascribing to Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, these false lies, which you, which, which, you know, these stories which are, which are basically invented. Secondly, these, this story here, whatever the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what he came with, he did not bring that from himself, right? This is actually revelation, wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the actual true stories that the Messenger is giving us, these are not from himself. These, as Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى That this is not something, you know, he speaks from his desire. It is no less than revelation which is revealed to him. So, how can you use the fact that if the messenger of Allah is basically mentioning stories from the people of the past and he has received knowledge of them through revelation, how can you then claim to do the same when all you have are just stories from dreams and narrations and reports and fabrications and, what, and so on and so forth? How, how can you use that as an argument? Because the messenger is receiving that knowledge about Bani Israel and about past narrations from revelation itself. So, uh, so this, this, is, this is incorrect, first of all. And the Sheikh goes on to say that this type of methodology is not embarked upon except the ignorant people and they don't have anything of knowledge with them. They don't have anything of sound knowledge from the Quran and the Sunnah with which to impart to the people. Rather, uh, you know what, what, what they have is either they, they are ignorant people as, as the sheikh says or they are people of desires who hate the people of the sunnah or they dislike the sunnah and they dislike the scholars of the sunnah and they want to turn the people away from authentic knowledge and they want to take them instead to these kind of admonitions which are based upon uh, fabricated beautified narrations which don't really have any basis so the sheikh says we have to beware of these types of narrations oh you know Muslims and Muslim, Muslim men and women and we should know that the best type of admonition is found in the sermons of the Prophet Wasallam, and in his admonitions and within these sermons we find that there are solid foundations of the religion, there are general or universal principles that we find in the speech of the Messenger of Allah. So we should only resort to that and leave what we find with the people and likewise in the books of the people that they have, in the books of the Jama'at and the Firaq, you know, we have the Tabligh and we have many of the Sufis and many, and you find in their books you know, fabrications and outlandish stories and embellishments and, you know, all of which uh, 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 
you know, uh, fabrications and they, when people use them, then it's, it's diverting people away from that which actually benefits, which is the speech of the Messenger of Allah, such as this hadith. When we go through this hadith, you'll see that there are tremendous, mighty lessons uh, which, which contain the principles of the religion itself. Whereas what you see in the stories and narrations and fabrications which are often embellished and exaggerated and the aim is to stupefy the people or to play with their emotions, you find that there's nothing really, apart from pulling the strings of emotions and making people amazed and wonder, there's nothing really of usul or foundations in these fabricated uh, narrations or texts. And so that shows the importance, the, the importance of sticking to uh, the khutab, uh, you know, the, the sermons and the muwa'id, the, the, the uh, admonitions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So anyhow, this is just a first, first point generally about the fact that this is a story from Bani Israel. And we know that it is correct and authentic because it is from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam who received it by way of wahi revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the second benefit directly to the, to, the, to the issue in the hadith, the shaykh goes on to say the second benefit is that to do with the, benef the, the, the effect of evil company upon a person. Or if you like, the effect of two parties, two, two companions, each of them upon the other. Right? Whether it is the righteous companion or the evil companion and this is what this hadith contains and if you wish then say that within within this hadith there is evidence that it is obligatory upon any muslim who is you know serious about his own affair who is sincere to himself that he chooses righteous people to mix with righteous people to mix with so a man he chooses other men from righteous people and likewise a woman, she seeks aid from Allah in finding a righteous man in marriage. And when a woman is presented, you know, a potential husband by her wali, and he is a fasiq, he is a sinful evil, she has the right to actually reject him outright and say no. And un un until, until, you know, until... Uh, and, uh, you know, she, she's even, even able to say to her wali that take this, take this man away from me. I don't want this man. Uh, you know, I am an amana. I am a trust uh, that you have in front of Allah. So bring to me someone who is righteous, someone whose religion is, is good, whose manners are good. So she has, she has the right to uh, do that. And if a righteous man is presented to her, then she makes istikhara to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So... Meaning to the extent that even a woman who is given in marriage, she has the right to uh, choose a righteous companion. And so if the wali brings an evil man, a man not, not known for good manners, not known for good religion, she has the actual right to be able to refuse him because this is, you know, this is the extent to which the righteous companion has the effect upon the other. And the sheikh brings another famous hadith which illustrates this principle, the, the example of the righteous companion and the evil companion, 
is like the seller of musk and the, the, the blower, the one who blows into the bellows like the, the ironmonger or the blacksmith. And as for the first one, the one who sells the perfume or the misk, either he will give you, you know, a gift or you will actually buy from him or you will find the nice fragrance, you know, you, you will smell that fragrance and it will, you know, come to you and you, you will benefit from it. So either of these three things, he will gift you or you buy from him or nevertheless you will, you will find the, the, you know, the nice uh, fragrance. As for the, the blacksmith, if you get close to him, then either he will burn your clothes, your clothes will burn, or you will find from him a vile you know, smell. And so this is, and then another hadith the Sheikh mentions as well as another proof. And this hadith is also authentic, uh, reported by Abu Dawood and others. لا تصاحب إلا مؤمنا ولا يأكل طعامك إلا تقي Do not accompany except a believer and do not let anyone eat your food except the taqi, except the righteous one, the righteous man. So after mentioning these two texts, the Shaykh goes on to explain that in this hadith of, uh, this particular hadith that we just mentioned, the last one, there are two generalities, two generalizations. The first one is, وَلَا يَأْكُلْ تَعَامَكَ إِلَّا تَقِي let not anyone eat your food except the pious person. The Sheikh says this is something very specific. It's been specified. Otherwise, we know generally that al-dhiyafa, meaning hosting, is general, right? Because sometimes you might host a disbeliever. You might host your neighbor who's a disbeliever to give him, you know, to be nice to him. You might, you know, uh, but this is like a very specific uh, situation. Uh, which we should aim to do and which we should try to generalize, right? So meaning that we should make sure that no one eats from our food except a righteous person, meaning that we make those who visit our homes, our houses, those whom we invite, that generally they are, they are righteous people, that we generalize this, so this is how it is. Otherwise, we know that obviously uh, it's not, you know, uh, sometimes you have to invite other people here and there, like it could be your neighbor, your non-Muslim neighbor, this is, the, the, these are circumstances. And the second, وَلَا تُصَاحِبْ إِلَّا مُؤْمِنًا Again, this is upon the umum, meaning that try not to make your company except a believer. So mix only with the believer. The more you find you mix with other than a believer uh, from the people of disbelief, then you have, like often this happens in a work environment or it happens in other types of environments, like you find it with your school, with kids, for example, and you pick up, you, inevitably, you are going to pick up certain influences and effects, and it's going to reflect upon you. So therefore, the command here, that try to generalize this and make this to be the case. Right? Do not mix and do not accompany except a believer. And the sheikh goes on to say, what is the evidence for this from this hadith? Meaning, what is the evidence for keeping company with righteous people and not keeping company with evil people? Where is the evidence for that in the hadith of the 99 men that we just looked at? Right? And so the Sheikh says that the evidence is that evil company 
evil company anyone who lives with them in their in their in in, in their land then we have to look at the person who's doing evil what's the thing that compelled him to do evil like what led him to do the evil and and what what led this man in this case to kill 99 people and the sheikh says amrun dunyawi shahawat right what is it it is a worldly affair it is something to do with the world it is some lusts or desires of the world sometimes they could be related to wealth Sometimes they could be related to desires. Allah knows best. But it is, seems apparent that these are the reasons which led this man to kill 99 men. And if we reflect upon, I mean, we know this from just observation and experience. And when we see in the modern era, for example, uh, we have certain places where the murder rate is very, 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 very high. Say, for example, you know, here in the uh, city of London, for example, in the US, you have many, many cities, uh, you know, where they have high murder rates, um, people being stabbed, people being shot, people, you know. Ultimately, what's, what's behind all of this killing? It, it's one of two things, right? It's, it's to do with wealth. So you have people, you know, disputing, having feuds over drugs, over narcotics over you know uh, things of that nature people disputing so you have shootings killings or you have people fighting over women or killing over women or disputes involving women or whatever it might be so you have all of this mixture of things and it's ultimately it's it's shahawat either to do with wealth or to do with women or other things and it's all worldly affairs so when you see a society like this en engrossed in, in you know uh, in, in these types of evils inevitably the people who are living in that land are going to be sucked and drawn in and it's going to have an effect upon them. And so the sheikh goes on to say that this is what seems to be apparent is what happened to this man that he killed on the basis of worldly desires to do with wealth or whatever. Even though we don't know that and it's not mentioned in the hadith but this is what seems apparent uh, to be to be the case and if he'd been amongst righteous people righteous people pious people he would not have done what he did so he says that when a companion he has righteous people if he forgets he will be reminded by his by his friends meaning you know they'll tell him don't do this don't do that this is evil this is wrong this is oppression this is this but if you have no righteous people in your midst and you're living in this type of society of evil of, uh, of other evil people, then there's no one really to, to really uh, remind you, right? Unlike when you have good companionship. If you forget, he'll remind you. If you, are, if you are rendered unable to do something, he'll help you. If you are ignorant, he will teach you. If, if, if you. if you are forgetful, he'll show you the right way, right? So this is what good companions, you know, when you... Uh, when you seek his advice, he will direct you to that which is better for you. All these things you find in the presence of righteous company. Whereas when you are you know, mixed with evil people, all of them following their own lusts and desires, the worldly issues, worldly affairs, they're not going to give you any of these things. They won't give you this type of beneficial advice. So, so this is the second uh, benefit to be taken from this hadith in relation to companionship. 
The third benefit to be taken from this hadith and one of the great benefits, tremendous benefits from this hadith is that this hadith shows, uh, alongside many other hadith as well, Fadlul alim al-rasikh fil-ilm ala al-abid al-zahid al-jahil. The excellence, the superiority of a scholar who is rooted in knowledge over the worshipper who is an ascetic, who is basically given to worship and, uh, you know, is, is a recluse. And he is ignorant. He's ignorant of, of, of the sharia, of the usul, of, of the qawaid, of, of whatever. But he's just given to worship. And how is this? What's the reason for this? What's the reason for this? The first reason, the sheikh says, is when he went to that worshipper, what did that worshipper do upon his ignorance? That worshipper made him to despair, to despair, right? So when a man comes to you and he says, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and he lists all of his you know, crimes and evils that he might have done, then if you, t if, if you cause him to despair, meaning that you say, well, sorry, there's, there's, there's no door for you. There's no rectification for you. You are condemned. There's no repentance. Then this, you know, this, this only causes the, the root of evil in his heart to, you know, to, to be incited even more, right? He, he, he has the stem of evil in his heart, which led him to do all these evils. He's come to you now. And when you make him despair and say, well, no, you're condemned. Uh, there's no salvation. Sorry, there's no repentance. Uh, effectively saying, well, sorry, it's hellfire is the destination. So what is the man supposed to think when you, when you make him despair? Like, if I'm going to go to hellfire, then what's then? Okay, well, why, why should I stop doing evil then? If it's a, that's my destination, why should I stop? Let me go and kill some all. Let me go and loot some all. Let me go and do all these other evils, right? So you... This, this uh, despair, it causes the shahwa, as the sheikh says, to become even more firmly rooted in his soul. Even more firmly rooted in his soul. And, and, and that's why, as we've said before, that those people who do not have any belief in the hereafter, right? So we have Muslims, obviously, who believe in the hereafter, but if you, if you make them despair and you exaggerate the issue of fear, then you lead them to do great evil. Right? Like you have with the khawarij, who exaggerate in the issue of fear, takfir and fear, and then they you know, are driven to do, to do enormities. In a like fashion, you see those who don't believe in the hereafter at all in principle. Like from, from, from the atheists, you see that the most, uh, uh, you know, vile and despicable evils ever committed on this earth, it comes from the likes of these people. Uh, because they have absolutely no, it's not really from despair, it's like they don't believe in the hereafter. And so when you, uh, you know, when you convey that idea to a person that, you know, uh, there, is no, there is nothing for you, there's no toba, there's no repentance, there's no salvation, there's no forgiveness, then you know, you, you're just, you're just uh, making that people even more uh, rooted in his evil. And the sheikh says, 
if you were to find many people who, if they were to be given this answer from this worshipper, you know, that they would, they would, they would, they would, they would, they would kill, kill, kill the likes of these people. Now, then this man went to the, 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 the scholar who is grounded in knowledge. What did the scholar do? What did the scholar do? The scholar took a number of different approaches with this man. The first thing that he did is that he, the, the root of evil which is in his soul, he basically calmed it down. He soothed it and he calmed it down. This evil which is in his heart. Because he said to him, This was the first thing that he said. He said, yes, there is repentance for you. And who can come in between a man and repentance to his Lord? Right? And when, when, when he said this, then this obviously, it soothed that man's heart and it extinguished like, like the evil the root of evil which is, which is in his heart. And there are two reasons why he said this, or there are two kind of you know, uh, angles or explanations. The first is, when he saw this man, and he saw within this man like emotion and passion, and you know, that he, he, he's inclined towards like sincerity, right? He feared that if I say something, he might misunderstand me. I don't want him to misunderstand me. So he spoke with him, uh, you know, with the statement, Who will come in between him and between Tawbah? Right? This is the first reason why he said this. He said it in the third person. Right? So this meaning he's not saying, Who can come in between you and between your Lord? This is like the, the khitab. This is directly addressing the man. Rather, he said it in the third person. He said, who can come between him, between a man and his Lord, right? He said it in the third person. And the reason why he said that is that he, he said it indirectly because, you know, he, he didn't want to directly ad address this man, but do it indirectly from his, from his wisdom. So this is one reason why the address is in the third person. Or the second reason could be that the narrator of the hadith, who narrated this hadith, uh, he changed the wording and, you know, in, in the course of narrating, he changed it from the second person, like when you speak indirectly, to the third person, right? So instead of saying, who, who can come between you and your Lord, and, and Tawbah, he said, and who can come between him, meaning the man in the narration, and between Tawbah. Right, so this, this is the explanation as to why this particular word appears in the third person in the particular hadith. In any case, in any case, so after saying to this man, who can come between him and his Lord in order to extinguish like the flames of desire and to smoothen and to soften and to you know make it more acceptable to him, he then gave him some advice. The first advice is that he should never return to the same land because it is a land of evil. And this is from the firasa. The firasa is the perspicacity, meaning the, 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 the intelligence of, of, of a scholar 
who is able to look at a man and to deduce from that man and what he's saying and the circumstances in, in which he's come to the scholar to figure out certain things. And as the Sheikh says, this is from the firasa, the perspicacity of the scholar, because the scholars are deeply rooted in knowledge. Allah gives them success in, in being able to figure out things, you know, to truthful things, and, and to derive things that other people are not able to. And they are able to figure this out simply by, like, you know, the things that they are told or the things that they are addressed, and they can deduce from them other things. So this scholar, who is also a, a, you know, a worshipper, um, obviously he does not know which, which city this man came from. He doesn't know any details. All he knows this man came and he said he killed 99 men. And is there any tawbah? So the scholar automatically figured out, knew from his firasa, this man must be living in an evil place, surrounded with evil people, engrossed in the evil that they are engrossed in, and that's the only reason he could have killed 99 people. And what's the reason he killed those 99 people? It's because of worldly things to do with wealth and to do with, you know, shahawat and whatever. And because that's the only reason you kill so many people. What other reason do you kill so many people? And if that's the case, it means that the city he's living in, or land he's living in, must be an evil place. So having deduced all of that, just by the fact that the man said to him, can I repent, I've killed 99 people, he then gave him practical advice that, you know, on, on the basis of that. So, uh, you know, he, he automatically knew that the condition and the wider circumstances of this man from his, from his firasa. He realized this man must have evil company, must have evil people, and he, he's like, you know, drowned and, and submerged in this type of evil with them. So, you know, he needs to be, you know, so he told him to basically... Uh, not to return back to that land the second thing that he told him so first he told him leave that land the second thing that he directed him to is uh, to go to a place you know to get to have a, a place and companions in that place right so a place is a righteous righteous city and then likewise the people of that righteous city whom he will accompany and keep company with. So he commanded him with that. And uh, these people will obviously, when he mixes with them, uh, he will have tadayun, uh, religiosity, worship that will be good, sincerity to Allah, following of you know whoever his messenger was at that time. And there will be ulama amongst those people. And so he will benefit from all of that environment and abandon, abandon his ways. So this is what the alim, advised this person with and then the sheikh goes on to say that this indicates another benefit to us which is that it is necessary or desirable for all of the Muslim ummah whether it is a male or a female to strive to benefit from the scholars and to be tied to the scholars and that they try you know that they keep away from the storytellers and from the ignorant people and from the people of desires, right? Because the world is full of these types of people who want to speak and who want to address the people, right? And they want to play with the people's emotions by way of stories, as we said before. 
and if it's not by way of stories, then they want to play with the emotions of the people by way of calamities and by way of events that take place on, on, on the earth, you know, calamities which happen to Muslims, um, you know, wars or occupations even, or calamities and things like that. So th th there are storytellers, there are ignorant people, there are people of desires, meaning people who are upon something of innovation and misguidance, right? And they have agendas and objectives to fulfill behind, you know, telling stories or lies or inciting the people or whatever it might be. The Sheikh is saying you have to beware of these types of people because they are many and you have to take benefit from the scholars and be tied to them. The Sheikh says, فَهَذِهِ الْأَصْنَافِ مُفْسِدَةٌ these people, storytellers, ignorant people, people of desires, they are, you know, they, they corrupt. They cause corruption. Even if they bring admonitions that make people cry. Right? Because there are some people who have the ability to bring you to tears. Right? In fact, while we're on this, let me give you a quick example of this in history. You've, you obviously you know Imam Ahmed Taala, but in his time there was a man called Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi and he was a man of, of had knowledge and he was an admonisher he had such ability to, to admonish people now what happened with Al-Harith is that he got caught up in some of the statements of the Jahmiyyah right? the Jahmiyyah who were affected by Greek philosophy, ilmul kalam, falsafa, and they began to speak about Allah's names, Allah's attributes, Allah's speech, the Quran, on the basis of this philosophy. And they began to, you know, they, they followed the way of Ibn Kullab, who came before, and that itself was based upon the way of the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah. So, so, so this is in the third century. And he fell into some of this speech, on one occasion, and, and what the people were saying, that, you know, this man, he gives an admonition like none other. So there's a, there's a, there's a narration where Imam Ahmed once went to the house in which the people would gather in the evening. And so he went in uh, discreetly without, you know, knowing who it was. And he went upstairs and he sat upstairs and... Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi began to give the, the wa'ath, the, the admonition. And at the end of it, Imam Ahmad was profusely in tears, right? Because that's, that's the nature of his admonition. Anyhow, after the whole, after the whole event, uh, you know, Imam Ahmad said, yes, obviously this, this melts the heart and whatever, but I forbid you from this man. I forbid you from this man. And he also spoke actually very, very heavy severe words about this man and also others as well there's Harith al-Muhasibi there's uh, al-Karabisi and there's others who, who got caught up in this in this confusion in their belief so he warned from them severely even though they would you know uh, make you shed tears in an instant from, from the, the powerful admonition that they might give to you so this shows that we shouldn't be deceived. Our criterion is the Quran, 
and the sunnah upon the way of the salaf and we are not to be led by emotions not by emotions right until even some of the scholars they said like imam shafi rahimahullah uh, that if you see someone or is uh, shafi or waqi one of those two that if you see someone walking on the water he's a person of innovation do not be deceived by him if he walks on the water and then someone else said no 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 he has fallen short rather he should have said if you see him flying in the air do not be deceived by him if he's a person of, of innovation right so this is something very very important because as we see events happening today and where, where the trials and the tribulations and the calamities befalling the Muslims increase and multiply and become more and more severe, then we see that the number of people who come out and speak and give their opinion on these issues, whether it is, you know, it is Palestine or it is you know, any other place or any other calamity or whatever it might be, you have to be careful and not to be drawn into the, 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 the emotions, the strong emotions, and you have to look at what is, you know, what, what is the deeply rooted Islamic principles upon which, upon which, we, which we can correctly analyze what is happening, right? And to return back to the scholars and have a scholarly analysis of why is this happening and what is the reason and what are the you know and so that we are always not following emotions but we are following principles principles and evidence right um, and this is the point that the sheikh is making that we have to be very very careful the sheikh says even some of them there might be people who you know they, they are bark they bark at you like the barking, like the barking of a dog, right? Like you see people today now, they're trying to blame uh, the Salafis or whoever it might be that, you know, it's because of you that what's happening in Palestine is happening in Palestine. How, how have you gone there? How have you gone there to accuse people, right? To accuse people of being responsible for what's happening in Palestine. This is, this is Kadib, this is, you know, this is a lie. But you will see people out there, they will use these calamities in order to, uh, to, 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 um, to vent their hatred and dislike of the people of the Sunnah, right? It's as if the blood of the people in Palestine or the blood of the people in Kashmir or the blood of the people in whatever part of the earth might be, that it's so cheap to you, it's so cheap that you want to use it in order to attack other people with which you have sectarian differences or opposition or hatred or enmity this is how cheap that blood has come for you to to be doing these things right so the point being from all of this the sheikh is saying that we have to be very careful to benefit from the people of knowledge and to be tied to them and to be careful of the storytellers the ignoramuses the people of desires the ones who you know give you admonition and make you cry and come to tears and so on and so forth and even those who might like just bark at you whatever we have to keep away from these types of people because all of this has a corrupting harmful uh, effect and the sheikh says we find in the sunnah 
there is an encouragement to accompany the people of knowledge, to be, to be, to be tied to the people of knowledge, because they give advice to the ummah, and they call to comprehension in the religion. Right? They invite the people to grasp and comprehend the religion. The storytellers, the ignorant people, people of desires, they want to play with the emotions of the people. Why? Because they have other, other motives or orientations. They're either you know, ideological, sectarian, there could be something else. But the scholars, they give fiqh. They make the average person to understand his religion, to understand his aqidah, to understand you know, uh, the way of the salaf, so that he has now basira, insight, into, into the affairs. This is what the scholars want. The scholars want to impart the same wisdom, the same knowledge, the same understanding that they have. They want to impart it to, to the people. Whereas the storytellers, the ignorant people, the, 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 the politicians, the ones with agendas, the ones with whatever, they are there just to, to win the support of the people for their cause or for their whatever it might be. And they're not, they are not giving fiqh to, 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 to the people. And the Shaykh says that we find, he mentions the hadith, إِنَّ الْعُلَمَاءُ Indeed, the prophets... Uh, indeed, the scholars, they are the inheritors of the prophets. For indeed, the prophets, uh, they do not leave any dinar or dirham to, to inherit. But they leave knowledge behind as inheritance. And whoever took that, meaning took that knowledge, then indeed he has taken from a great, you know, a great, he's taken a great share. And likewise, Muhammad bin Sirin, rahimahullah ta'ala, he also said, he's the tabi, tabi'i, uh, he said, Inna hadha al-ilm deenun fanzuru amman ta'khuduna deenakum. Indeed, this religion, this knowledge is religion. So look at from whom you take your religion. And more than this is the hadith of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, some of the scholars declare this hadith to, to, be, to be authentic, in which the Messenger of Allah, he said, يَحْمِلُ هَذَا الْعِلْمِ إِنْ كُلِّ خَلَفٍ عُدُولُهُ This knowledge, meaning of this religion, will be carried by the trustworthy people of every generation. In every generation, there will be trustworthy people, trustworthy scholars, who will acquire, understand, grasp, and then convey on to those after them Successively in every generation, this knowledge. They will remove from it the alterations of those who go beyond bounds. And the, 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 the fabrications of the falsifiers. And the false interpretations of the ignorant. This is something Allah has guaranteed to this ummah that in this ummah, unlike previous nations, in this ummah, in every generation, there will be scholars who will expose the alterations to the religion or to the texts. They will expose the fabrications of the falsifiers and they will negate and invalidate the false interpretations. Right? And this is how authentic scripture becomes, becomes you know, 
lost, as it happened to the Jews, as happened to the Christians. Right? What they have with them is muharraf and mubaddal. It is altered, distorted. This will never happen with the people of Islam. Right? Neither in the asl of the text, meaning in the text of the Quran or the Sunnah, nor in terms of fabrications which are made into the religion, as was done, for example, by the Rafida, the liars. You know, many of them were, were Rafida, fabricated thousands and thousands of ahadith. But the scholars of the Muslims, they separated out from the, the, the authentic, from those which are fabrications and lies. So, so fabrications cannot be inserted into the religion either. And the third thing, what is the third thing? The third thing is uh, the, the misinterpretation, right? So you can have the text, it's authentic, but you, you have a verse of the Quran, then you have people coming along and then they're twisting and turning the verse and it means this and it means that and means this, right? Again, like we see, uh, like the Rafida and the Batiniya and many of the groups who went astray, they began to play with the verses to support their innovation. This will not happen either, right? Meaning that the message and its interpretation will never ever be lost. There will all be, always be scholars who Allah has appointed that they will perform this, they will perform this obligation. Okay, so once this is clear, the Shaykh then goes on to mention to us another important benefit. And this is, he says, that in the times bygone, the people of, of knowledge and the people in every region, they used to say something. They used to say, for example, imtahinu ahl al-Madina fi Malik. Examine and test the people of Medina by way of Imam Malik. Right? So this now is an empty hand. It's a, you are testing people to see, okay, what are they upon? What are they about? How do we do this? Okay, we ask them, what do you say about Imam Malik? So if you are in Medina and Imam Malik is in Medina, what's your stance towards Imam Malik? Because he is the Imam of the Sunnah in that place. Right, so the in that time, this is what the people of knowledge used to say. Right, that people of Medina ask them about Imam Malik, and then you will know who is upon the way of the Sahaba and who is upon the way of, of Jahm and Al Jad and uh, Amr bin Ubaid, you know, the heads of the Mu'tazila and other people. Likewise, wa Ahlul Mausil fil Mu'afa bin Imran test the people of Mosul over there in, in Iraq, northern Iraq. Test them by way of this man, Mu'afa bin Imran. Meaning, ask them about him. Where do they stand with, with respect to him? وَمْتَهِنُوا أَهْلَ الشَّامِ فِي الْأَوْزَاءِ الْإِمَامُ الْأَوْزَاءِ Test and examine the people of Sham with Al-Awzai. And the people of Misr by way of Layth bin Sa'ad. Al-Layth bin Sa'ad. So, if you find them, praising those individuals, those scholars, and announcing their love of them and praising them and mentioning them with good. And, you know, then, then these people are good, right? Bring them close to you, honor them. And if you find the opposite, they, 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 they revile them, they dislike them, they speak against them, and so on and so forth, then keep away from these people and do not honor them you know, don't, 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 don't honor them in the way that you honor the other people. 
and um, you know the ones who praise the scholars and so on and so forth. So this is something the Sheikh is saying is one of the ways by which we can know the people of truth from the people of falsehood is by way of testing people by scholars who have become well known and famous for being firm upon the sunnah. So in our, in our modern era, for example, we have the likes of Imam al-Albani, rahimahullah, before him Imam al-Sa'di, Sheikh Muhammad bin Ibrahim, and others, uh, Sheikh bin Ba, Sheikh bin Thaymeen, and Sheikh al-Fawzan, and so on and so forth. So in the same way, we use them as a criterion to see a person of the sunnah from a person of bid'ah. Now the Sheikh goes on to say that on this issue of testing people, there are two different viewpoints. There are some people who say, no, 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 you can't, you can't test people like this. You can't examine people. You can't, you can't set up a man and say that, you know, like, like, like we've seen Imam Malik or Al-Awza'i or Laith bin Saad. No, you can't do this. This is wrong. It's against our religion. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't erect individuals and then make them to be the criterion between right and wrong, love and hate. There's some people who say, who say that, right, over there. And then also, the Sheikh says, there are other people who also make this issue of testing to be absolute, right? Meaning they're now in the other direction, the other direction. Meaning that you apply it all the time in every case, in every situation. And the Sheikh says that that which is, that which is correct, that which is correct, this is also wrong, just like this is also wrong. But what is correct is we have to make a detailed uh, distinction in this issue, right? Which is, when do we make use of imtihan? When do we make use of imtihan? It's not that we never make it, nor is it that we always make it. But it's that we make it in situations when it becomes necessary. Right? Just like, for example, in the world, in the world, for example, if someone wants to come and marry your daughter, you're going to examine that man. You want to investigate and examine this man. Here it's a necessity, right? And if, for example, you need to do business with somebody or enter into a partnership with someone in business, you, you don't know who this guy is, well, you want to investigate this man who's done business with him before. Is he truthful? Is he honest? Is he reliable? Is, can he be trusted with money? Can he trust him with... Of course you're going to do that. But if you're just meeting the average person, the average Muslim and, you know, whatever, and there's no need for you, just give salam and whatever your need is. There's no need here now to make imtihan of every single person. This is just like in the worldly sense, right? So in the religion, in terms of religious issues, then the Sheikh goes on to say that, that where we apply this issue of examination is regarding the one who we don't really know his situation. Right? Either because he, he's unknown, no one knows anything about him. So, you know, when someone comes from another town or another city or something, you know, and, and he comes and mixes with the people, right? And we don't know anything about him. Right? This is one example. Or we don't know anything about his religion. Like, as in, what is he upon? What does he believe? Right? Because this person, for all you know, uh, could, be, could, could be a Rafidi. Uh, could be a Qadiyani, uh, could be an Ahmadi, could be, uh, could be Yahudi pretending to be a Muslim. You're like you don't know. It could could be anybody, right? So, so the situation requires 
that we, that we find out and examine this person and to see exactly what, what is he about. Now the evidence for this the Sheikh brings is a well-known famous hadith uh, from about one of the companions and this is one of the companions called Muawiyah bin al-Hakam and this companion used to have a slave girl and she used to look after his uh, flock and uh, you know goods and, and things like that and uh, one day this uh, you know wolf came and uh, snatched one of the one of the, the sheep and uh, when Muawiyah came and she told him what happened he slapped her right he slapped a slave girl out of anger and then after that he he felt really bad in himself and he began to feel remorseful so he came to the messenger of Allah and he told him what happened and um, you know he said look I'm a man Ya Rasulullah I'm a man I become angry just like other men become angry and you know then, then he told him what happened he slapped the girl and so on and so forth so he said look shall I not shall I not free her you know to, to make up for what I did so the messenger of Islam he asked him bring her to me bring her to me so I can see if she is a believer so she came and the messenger of Islam said to her Ain Allah where is Allah and she said Fissama, above the heaven so he said man ana who am I she said anta rasulullah you are the messenger of Allah so then he said to, to Muawiyah, Free her for indeed she is a believer. Right? So here the messenger of Allah, he examined the belief of this slave girl on two issues. Who is he? Does she affirm that he is a messenger? And where is Allah? And this is like something fitri. It's something that's in the fitra that Allah is above uh, the heaven. It's an issue of, of, of creed which is known by fitra, uh, naql and shar as well. And uh, so the Sheikh says this hadith is a clear evidence that someone whose condition is unknown to us, we are ignorant of his condition, or we are ignorant of what creed, what is, what is he holding, then, it is, then, then we are allowed, we are allowed that he is to be, then he is to be tested, right? He's to be tested. So the Sheikh goes on to say, if, if we were to close this door of examination and say, oh, no, 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 we can't do it, it's not allowed, it's wrong, whatever. If we were to do that, then this would mean that, you know, we, we would start, you know, um, opening the door for the scholars to be attacked, for the scholars who came before, for them to be, for them to, to be attacked. We mentioned some names, Sheikh Muhammad bin Ibrahim, Ali Sheikh, Sheikh Tarman al-Saadi, Sheikh Mufaymin, Sheikh bin Baz, and other than them. You know, we, we find that there are many of the misguided groups, like the Tabliq and the Ikhwan and people like that. Um, they, they, you know, they, 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 if, if, if they take the path of the misguided people, and in order for us to know, a person, you know, what, what is he about? Is he, does, does he ascribe to any of these jama'at? Does he, is he from the ikhwan? Is he from the, taglib, the, 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 the tabliq? Is he from the people of taqfir? Is he from whatever? Then we are, we are, we are to test and examine uh, these people. And uh, the sheikh goes on to say that uh, from the living people, there are two scholars, the sheikh mentions from them, Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan, and likewise, Sheikh Salih al-Luhidan, who rahimullah passed away 
last year, 2022. The Sheikh obviously gave his lecture before that. So he says, look, we, we would test people by way of these two scholars who are living now. Anyone who likes and loves these scholars, then you know, we know that he's a person of the Sunnah, we love him. And anyone who hates them, then we, then we hate him. And this is because these scholars we know uh, from, their, from their long age and firmness and you know, being grounded in knowledge that you know, their, their creed, their da'wah, you know, that it is, it is upon this way. So whoever hates them, then we hate that person. Whoever loves him, we make that person close, we love him as well. And so this is an application of, of this imtihan in relation to people who are, you know, who are alive in this, in, in, this, in this actual time. So the point being, what, what is the point behind all of this? The point was that this scholar, that the man who killed 99 men, when he went to that scholar, that scholar, just by hearing what the man said, I've killed 99 men, he figured from all of that that this man must be living in an evil city. All his friends must be evil. There must be worldly issues of shahwa, of, of mal and shahwa going on because that's why people kill each other. And so he needs to be taken out of that and be taken to a land where there is righteousness, where there are ulama, where there are scholars, actual scholars, because this man needs scholars. Right? And so this, this alim, as the Sheikh says, al alim, you know, he directed him first of all to make hijrah, right? To to emigrate, and secondly, he to leave his place, and secondly, he directed him to the people of rectitude, the people of rectification, the people of piety, and so on and so forth. And the Sheikh mentioned something strange and amazing about a group that you found that you find in the Gulf, and this is Jamaatul Tabligh, and they say that they, they come and they say to you, you know, you need to make, you need to leave your home. Uh, you know, they, they actually mention this hadith. Leave your home for indeed it is an evil, it is an evil place. And then they encourage people to go on to travel outside, right? Go to, go to Norway to do da'wah, go to, you know, America to do da'wah, go to the uh, UK to do, to do, go to France, right? So you, so you leave a land where there is tawheed, righteousness, Masajid, uh, good atmosphere, whatever. And instead you go and you go to these other places of trials and tribulations under the guise of what they, what, what they call da'wah, even though their da'wah is just re reading stories and fabrications from their books and they don't really teach tawheed, uh, al-uluhiyyah. It is simply belief in a creator which nobody disputes. The Christian doesn't reject a creator. A Jew doesn't reject, reject a creator. Right, and that was nothing more than Tawheed al rububiyyah right? Believe in Allah, right? Whereas Tawheed is to single out Allah in worship, not just to believe Allah is the creator of the Lord. So they go out there and they do all these things in these other countries where you know there is fisk, there is kufr, and there is ilhad, and there is you know whatever, and they and, and they take, tell people to, to 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 leave a land in which there is obviously there is there, there is goodness. So the Sheikh says that this again is another false interpretation of that particular hadith after this the sheikh goes on to mention another benefit coming to the, to the final uh, page the next section and he says from the benefits of this hadith is which is that the the actions are sealed 
by the by the end outcomes right so your 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 seal of your life basically is on the basis of what it what it ended upon what did it end upon and so this man his fitra meaning that his natural innate disposition is is good and he accepted the advice right and he strove to a righteous place where the people were righteous but his time came to him you know before he got there uh, from the mercy of allah and when he got to halfway you know half of the of the path um, you know death came to him and allah as we read in the story he sent the angels uh, of mercy the angels of punishment and they began to debate and dispute about him and um, the you know the the, the uh, as, as we read in the hadith uh, what the angel said that one, angel, one one group of angels said well you know uh, he he left repentant seeking allah and the other angel said well no um, we haven't seen from him do a single good deed there's no good deed in his favor at all so we should take him and so allah sent an angel as we see in the form of a man and he judged between them and he you know he said what he said measure the distance between the two and so the outcome was that the angels of mercy took him what does this show the sheikh, the sheikh says that this shows that allah azawajal, uh, will never uh, leave alone his servant that if he remembers allah allah will remember him you know this this man that when he's admonished he will take an admonishment that when he is given advice he takes the advice this is the nature of a, of a righteous genuine person right that when he's admonished by somebody he will accept the admonishment when he when he is uh, reminded he will take the reminder and he will benefit from it right and when he's advised he will take the advice right he's always upon taqwa upon righteousness he's always listening to hear what will benefit me you know what will uh, improve me uh, you know this is how he thinks and that's why in the quran allah he says إِذَا مَسَّهُمْ طَائِفٌ مِّنَ الشَّيْطَانِ تَذَكَّرُوا فَإِذَا هُمْ مُبِسِّرُونَ He says, indeed, those who have taqwa, those who fear Allah, have taqwa of Allah, when there is like an incitation from shaitan, when you feel, or when you, when, you know, when you are, uh, there's, there's an incitation, you feel in yourself to do something evil, to commit a sin, to do something, and you feel this impulse in yourself, then they remember Allah. At that moment, they remember Allah. And when they remember Allah, فَإِذَاهُمْ مُبْسِرُونَ Then at that moment, they, they, they quickly, they, 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 are, they become enlightened, they quickly realize what is the truth, and they, they, obviously they, are, they, are, they, are, they, are, they withhold from whatever evil they're going to do. So what happened here is that this man, because this man came with a repentant heart, and he remembered Allah, and he turned his heart to Allah, Allah gave him basira, gave him insight by way of the scholar, by way of the alim, by way of the scholar. And the, the shaitan was obviously playing with him and trying to make him incline, you know, to, to doing whatever he did before that when he killed people in oppression and transgression. But Allah forgave him all of that when he, you know, when he, when he made tawbah and he, you know, sought Allah and turned his heart to Allah Now in some other narrations, the Sheikh goes on to say that 
um, in some other texts, in some other narrations of the, of the hadith, we find that Allah Azawajal, he actually sent or he, um, you know, he made the land to shift so that he was closer to the land in which he was going to. Um, these, these are other narrations that we find regarding this uh, incident. The Sheikh says there's no contradiction between all of these different uh, texts and between the fact uh, that you know, he, he rushed forward you know, to push himself forward when he felt that there was going to be death, so he pushed himself forward and he you know, went further like that at the point of death. The Sheikh said these, these are some additional details that we find in some of the other narrations. Uh, but all of them, the, the story, all of it is, is, you know, there's no contradiction between any of that. And then finally, the Sheikh goes on to say, coming to the end, that indeed, um, I don't say I have, you know, taken all the benefits from this hadith. There is much more in this hadith. However, I have summarized the kind of essential points uh, in order to benefit myself and to benefit those people who are listening. <clears throat> and with that, the Sheikh concluded his lecture by sending salat and salam <coughs> upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So, just to conclude, what we've what we've learned really uh, from this tremendous hadith. Um, first of all, the first point is that we must always stick to authentic, authentic narrations, authentic stories, right, which are found in the Sunnah, which are in the sermons of the messenger of allah which are the admonitions of the messenger of allah we don't we don't need uh, stories and uh, uh, fabrications and things what we find with with the jama'at and the firq they have books you know with 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 fabrications lies fabricated ahadith embellished stories about righteous men and so on and so forth we don't need any of that we are people of the sunnah we are people of revelation and we always stick to that which is which is which is authentic. That's the first thing. Uh, 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 in this case, it relates to a story from from Bani Israel. The second benefit, just generally about company, uh, keeping company. A company has uh, uh, a definite effect. We can see the reality of that in those texts about you know the musk seller, and likewise the blacksmith. And likewise, how we are encouraged to make sure our company is, is always company of believers and the only people who eat from our food to be the pious people, right? Meaning not every Muslim, whatever, but pious, righteous Muslims who, know, who you know that they fear Allah to make sure those are the types who are coming into your house and to have your food and, you know. Uh, so this is in terms of general company. This is what the scholar advised him with, um, to leave that land, to go and find righteous people in a righteous place where there are righteous people, scholars and so on and so forth, where he can benefit from. And, you know, this is the only way this man can actually, can actually change. You can't remain in a land of evil and want to make tawbah. It simply is not going to happen uh, because you're always going to be drawn and pushed back. Um, the Sheikh mentioned the importance of the people of knowledge and returning back to the people of knowledge and bewaring of people who are storytellers, people who are ignorant and have no sharia knowledge and fiqh, understanding, who like want to speak about the affairs and people who are people of desires uh, they have agendas they have ideologies they have motives they you know they are driven you know by hatred of people of the sunnah and don't listen to these types of people uh, the sheikh then looked at the permissibility of imtihan of testing and examining individuals right we know that this we know that we know that we do this in the affairs of the world 
It makes sense. We do this in the affairs of the world. You want to marry your daughter? Well, you're going to examine the person who you're, who you're giving your daughter to in marriage. Right? So if that's in a worldly affair, then the affair of the religion even more so. Because the religion determines your path in, path in this life and the path in the hereafter. Right? And there are callers who stand on the gates of hell for you, calling you, inviting you, as the Messenger of Allah has informed us, and they are the groups and the sects that call us to innovation and misguidance. They have the beautiful words, they have the beautiful admonitions, they have the embellishments, they have the, the emotions, you know, the tear-jerking uh, speech and so on and so forth. Right? So we have, to, we have to be careful and we have to <coughs> um, take our knowledge from, from the ulama. And Sheikh went on to mention this issue of imtihan, providing evidence that we do it according to a need, not in all situations, and not to leave it all together. But whenever it is necessary, when someone comes to us and claims to teach us the religion or claims to be whatever, then we need to know who, who is this person, uh, who is he mixed with, what's his, what's his creed, uh, where does he come from, who is his companionship, who does he take knowledge from, or whatever. We need to know that because, as you know today, uh, a, 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 a reality which the messenger informed us of, that the ummah will split and there will be innovations, there will be desires, there will be people come, they will tell lies, they will fabricate a hadith, they will give witness when they're not asked to give witness, right? They will speak when they're not asked to be spoken, and uh, there will there will be dajajila, liars that will come at the end of time, uh, some of them claiming prophethood for themselves, uh, lies will spread, truth will diminish, right? These are the times that we are living in, and very sadly, <coughs> uh, among the Muslims, we find that there is tremendous uh, corruption and evil uh, because, because, because of these reasons. So we have, to be, we have to be careful. And these are usul in our religion found in the texts themselves, which, which, we, we, which we are to implement in order to make sure that our religion remains pure and clear and doesn't go the way of the, that of the Jews and the Christians. So the Sheikh spoke about that, some benefit in relation to that, imtihan. And finally, he spoke about the end, what are you going to die upon, uh, and that the, you, you know, your, your outcome depends upon your end. So this is the Husnul Khatima, and this man, obviously, he turned to Allah, his heart was repentant, he was sincere, and he took the actual steps that prove his sincerity. He, he wasn't left in that city saying, inshallah, tomorrow, inshallah, tomorrow, inshallah, tomorrow, inshallah, next week, inshallah, next week. Let me just... No, he, he actually left. He took, he took the measure that the alim told him. Abandon that place. And he took it. And that's a sign of his sincerity. Right? Sign of sincerity is not that you sit there and think, inshallah, 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 I will repent. He actually took the step. And that's a sign of his sincerity. And so in, in, in the course of that, obviously, he, Allah, Allah took him away. But that's what he died upon. And a person's life will be sealed upon the action that he died upon which means that you know we have to make sure that uh, uh, we, we we are observant and we fear allah and that we die upon the right creed uh, we die upon the sunnah in our worship in, in our suluk in our behavior in our mannerisms and we die doing righteous deeds so we ask allah for tawfiq upon that and with that we'll conclude walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in
There's a few questions here to do with uh, to do with the situation in in Palestine. Um, you know, on social media, how how would you advise Salafis to conduct themselves on social media given uh, this issue? And another question that uh, some scholars say that the Yahud returning to Palestine is a sign of the hour. And what is the evidence for this? And how do you reconcile this with the hadith that mentions that the Yahud, the 70,000 Yahud, will come wearing shawls, Persian shawls, you know, from the direction of Isfahan. They will accompany the, the uh, Dajjal. First of all, I think we mentioned this in the lesson before, the lesson, I think the previous lesson, we ask Allah to grant relief to our Muslim brothers and sisters in Palestine and elsewhere. Uh, we feel for them and we know that they are being oppressed and we ask Allah to, to grant them the greatest of rewards uh, for those who have been killed. Obviously, it's, it's martyrdom to be buried under rubble or to have a building destroyed upon you. So we ask Allah that he accepts and he makes them uh, to be martyrs. That the children amongst them, obviously, they will go into paradise. We ask Allah to give, to give them a, a tremendous uh, reward for their patience. Now, when it comes to speaking about this issue, we have to be very, very careful because, as we said before, there are many, many people who speak on the basis of emotion. It's a very emotive issue. And... These, these are the types of fitan where people, they will end up being drowned because they, they can't tame their emotions through sound authentic knowledge and sound Islamic principles. Right? The ability to rein in your emotions and to control your emotions, this is what distinguishes a strong person, a person of firm resolution, of firm will, compared to the people who are just like, effectively just, you know, uh, they, they, they really, they just like, this is a sign of their weakness, right? That you become overtaken by, by rage and by emotion. It means that really you do not have conviction, conviction in what Allah has informed us in the Quran. Right? It's a sign of weakness and a sign of lack of conviction in Allah's promise that it is true. And so we have to be careful. There are many, many people on social media and elsewhere. They like to use this issue, as I said, the issue of Palestine or it could be any other calamity. And they have ideological motives. They have reasons to attack Salafis in particular. Why? Because... Because, because of our conviction in the truth of what the messenger of Allah what he brought regarding these types of calamities, these types of events, why they happen, what the reason is, you know, like in, in detail, how to deal with it, how to resolve it, right? And I want to give you just a very quick uh, example of this to show how these things have happened in history in the time of Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. 
you know, the Mongols attacked from the east. And there were things that happened that were much worse than what we are seeing today in Palestine. Because when the Mongols came uh, from the direction of the east, they passed through Baghdad. And in Baghdad, there were the, this is Hulaku, right? And, and you know, and uh, some of the Rafida, the evil Rafida, they basically played a role in, in directing the Mongols, in deceiving the, the ruler of Baghdad um, in, into, you know, giving up or whatever, right? So they, so they aided the Mongols against the, the Sunni Muslims. In any case, when they came, they slaughtered, as you know the story, they sacked the whole of Baghdad. The, 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 the city was, was flowing in blood. They killed, I don't know how many million, you know, uh, tremendous butchery and massacre. And then they were coming across and then they came towards Sham in the time of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymi rahimahullah. There, the people of knowledge, the scholars, they actually differed with each other. Some scholars said, you know what, we have to go out, we must do jihad in the path of Allah, we have to fight them, we have to stop them, we have to repel them, you know, whatever, whatever. Other scholars said, you know what, this really isn't the time to be doing that. Now imagine the situation now, right? There's an invading army coming from the east, ravaging everything, right? Destroying everybody, massacring, whatever. And you hear some scholars saying, no, 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 we, this is not the time. Like, what would you imagine would be said about those scholars, right? I'm trying to give you this, I'm giving this example to show you that the difference between... Uh, being rooted in knowledge and then while being rooted in knowledge making an ijtihad that might be right or wrong and between just reacting with emotion right so in this situation Ibn Taymi explains this in one of his books Arrad al al-Bakri right and he says that this, this dispute happened between the people of knowledge so what happened is, Ibn Taymiyyah, he basically advised that if we look at the hall of the people, what do we see the people? When they heard the Mongols coming from the east, the first thing they started doing was running out. They started running out, going to the graves, seeking refuge in the graves. You know, saying in poetry that the Tatar have come, you know, we seek refuge in you, O Abba, Umar. You know, they're like making these, you know. And this is what the people were upon. And so... The scholars like who were deeply grounded and rooted and they said if this is the situation of the people then it's unlikely that the jihad that we fight against the Mongols is going to be successful so we shouldn't really do it. So Ibn Taymi says for the next years we embarked upon educating the people to invoke only Allah alone, right? To make the wakil upon Allah. So they, so they went out and they had to teach the people the affairs of Tawheed and to make Tawheed rooted in, because before it wasn't rooted in their hearts. To make Tawheed rooted in their hearts. Right? So when this happened and the, the affair of the people was rectified, Ibn Timi says that there were such victories against the Tartars, against the Mongols, that the Muslims had never ever seen before they were victorious over the over the over the mongols now 
this situation i'm sure has happened many times in history where there where there are difference differences of opinion now can you imagine someone coming along and saying saying about those scholars who said this is not the time for fighting right imagine someone saying you are from the munafiqeen you you are you are from the yahud you are from the this you're from that whatever this would be a, a stupid evil misguided ignorant fool who would be making remarks like this you wouldn't, you wouldn't make remarks like this it shows your complete lack of comprehension of the religion to be even making remarks like that right now if we now come and we we are honest with ourselves honest with ourselves right so again this is not for the for the effeminate men who are overtaken by emotion that we see amongst these people of bid'ah. This is not for you. So you, you leave the arena and leave it for the men to discuss the actual issues, right? So we know in the, in the sunnah, as the Messenger of Allah said, someone came and said, O Messenger of Allah, a man fights for bravery. A man fights for tribal nationalism. A man fights for booty. Who is the one fighting for the sake of Allah? And so the Messenger of Islam said, the one who fights so that the word of Allah is uppermost. He is the one who is fighting fi sabilillah. Right? Al-Qital and jihad in the Sharia is qualified by fi sabilillah. It's qualified by that. What does that mean? To make the word of Allah uppermost. Okay. That's the jihad that Allah, Allah He gives victory to. That he aids. That he supports. Where? Where? Because the point of dispute is the kalima la ilaha illallah. That's the point of dispute. Right? Now, if you like come back to the hadith the, the one who fights for hamiyah like the one who fights for tribal nationalism partisanship right if you are going to fight for nationalism for a nation then there's no difference between you and between any other nation and that's what the scholars have explained that if you fight and they refute when, when the scholars when they refute qawmiyah al qawmiyah al arabiyah the scholars spoke about this, Ibn Baz, Rahimullah, and many of the scholars, that this evil filth has come to us from the direction of the enemies, right? They have put this, you know, through, through certain rulers like Saddam Hussein and, you know, Jamal Abdel Nasser and others, they infused this idea of Arabic nationalism in order to weak, weaken the, the, the Muslim nations, right? And so there's this nationalism, there's other things that have come which have weakened the Muslim Ummah. If you fight on the basis of nationalism, then you, you, you will be ruined and you will be lost and you will be destroyed. And now there's no difference between you and between any other non-Muslim nation who's also fighting for nationalism, right? You want a state, they want a state, right? This, this is nationalism now, okay, right? What do you find amongst those people who are fighting Right, the head of, you know, from these heads of, of uh, Hamas, and we are speaking here in terms of what their creed is, what their methodology is. You will find statements from them saying, 
in the 90s, you know, in, uh, early on, or in, two, sorry, 2000, yeah, that saying, for example, yes, we, we are fighting because we, we are trying to establish uh, democracy and equal rights for everybody, and these are their words, the actual words, right? Right? And you have communists, you have secularists, you have Marxists, actual groups of actual Marxists, of actual communists who are, who are Palestinians there, right? Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Is this something that Allah is going to aid in the way that he aided the Rusul, Nuh salam, Ibrahim salam, Musa salam, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Right? What is being fought for? What's at stake? What's the dispute? Right? And what, what are you after? You after you after a homeland? Are you after what, what what is it? These are questions that, as I said, the people of the Sunnah are able to raise these questions because these are what the the, the, the usul and the foundations from the religion that they know are the truth and they know how Allah's aid is obtained. Right? So so, so, so this is just one, one angle. This is just one angle of looking at the whole situation, right? If you're going to fight for nationalism, then, you know, this does not mean in any way, form or fashion that somehow now we do not support our Muslim brothers and sisters, right? Only an idiot, a fool, a liar, a kathab, an enmitous one, who hates the people of the Sunnah and the truth that they speak would ever reason like that. Do you understand? Like just because we've pointed out the truth that Allah only aids that which is fi sabilillah, which is not for fought for hamiyyah, not for, for whatever, right? Only that is what is aided by Allah. That when we point that out and we try to make clear what is obvious that if you fight for nationalism, then this is not going to win the aid and support of Allah. Right, only a fool and an idiot from the people of Bid'ah is going to use that now and say, "Oh, you are hypocrites because now you support the, you know, the 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 the, the, the oppressing party." No, it's, that doesn't follow. We are trying to analyze and truthfully find the, the the right solution to the problem in accordance with with the rules of Allah in his creation and what Allah has mentioned in his book and what the scholars we know from experience like I gave the example of Ibn Taymiyyah in his time right that, that this is how you analyze these situations right so this in no way means that we do not support the, 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 our, our brothers and sisters uh, who, are, who, are, who, are, who are being oppressed and occupied and bombed and, and, and murdered and, and you know whatever of course not but we have to be honest we have to be honest you know, uh, in, in, in treating the, 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 the situation. It's like if a physician came and, you know, uh, instead of doing what actually needs to be done upon the proper analysis, he just tried to comfort and give emotional, you know, to the, to the subject and just ignored the re... How, how is he going to cure anything of treatment? It's not going to make any sense. So in the same way, uh, you have to treat these situations in the same way, like as a, as a physician based upon... The, the, the principles and the rules. That, that's just one thing anyway. That's the first thing anyway. The second thing is just pure common sense, pure reason, like our scholars have explained before, 
like Sheikh Al-Bani rahimahullah, from 20, 30 years ago, he said, what is the benefit of you going and doing, attacking a bus or two buses, killing one or two people, whatever, and then they come along and they bombard and they take 10, 20, 100, even 1,000. Where's the aql? Where's the benefit in this? Of what benefit is this to anybody? What, what are you doing apart from just enabling the, the uh, confiscation of more and more land and the increased militarization? What, what, where's the benefit in this? Does it even make any sense? Do you understand? Right? So again, putting emotions to one side, ask yourself one thing. What's, what was the benefit of October 7th? What was the benefit now? Tell us now. Put all emotions to one side. Right? What is the benefit? What was the benefit now? Half of Gaza is now militarily occupied, half of it. A million and so many people are now pushed to the south. So what was the benefit in that then? Give it another week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, and maybe they'll take you know, the whole of it, whatever. What, where was the benefit in that then? And the strangest thing is, these other people, like we are concerned for the blood and the land of the Palestinians when we say what we say, genuinely. And the realities support what we say. Right? Look at the outcome. Right? The strangest thing is these people, these people who hate the people of the Sunnah, they have to be complete, they, they, have, they have to be deranged. We don't know what it is with these people. They have to be deranged to somehow accuse us of saying, well, you are, you are, you are with the Zionists and you are, with, you are monafikun, you are hypocrites, you are this, you are that. How can you even say that? It doesn't even make any sense. Just because we don't support the actions of Hamas doesn't mean that we are not with, and our sentiments are not with the people of Palestine. No. This is great injustice. In fact, this is just cold, calculated lies that you are telling against the people of the Sunnah who are more knowledgeable than you. They are wiser than you. They are, they are greater, they are more masculine than you. Right? Because you are just effeminate. You're just, you're just emotion-filled effeminate. You know, I don't want to use the, the, the words. But this is not for you to speak in. You just go away and just, you know, whatever. Don't speak about this. It's not for you to speak about this. Clearly, you, you're not qualified to speak about this. Right? So, this is, so this is now a second dimension to it, right? which is just ground realities, practicalities, which the scholars have already spoken with and which these people don't accept from us. Right? Which is, what's the benefit in doing that? When you've just lost half the land you know, that, you, that you were living on and you've displaced over a million people, you've destroyed so many people's lives, so many people's children have been killed, you know, 10, 15,000, what was the benefit in that then? There is no benefit. Right? So that's, that's uh, the second thing. I mean, there are many, many things can be said, to be honest with you. But, you know, inshallah, uh, these fitan are going to increase. These tribulations are going to increase. Anyone who is firmly rooted in knowledge and takes learning seriously, he will be protected from being tossed and pushed in every direction whenever any new fitna comes. 
Right? This is just the start of the fitan. There are more fitan. As you know, there's no time from the hadith of Anas bin Malik. There's no time except that the time which will come after it will be worse than it. And the tribulations come successively. They will come in a way that, you know, as soon as one's dropped, the next one's going to drop. Right? This is, just, this is a tribulation. Right? Tribulation, they, they fabricated a whole pandemic, COVID. Right? This tribulation destroyed the world's economy. You know, ruined people's livelihoods, whatever. Uh, straight on the back of that, another tribulation, a war. Another tribulation. It's on and on and on and on. Right? It's, it's like that. And so someone who is not rooted in tawheed, aqeedah, actual aqeedah, right? He will be tossed and turned in every direction. That's why, that's why these people are bidah who are attacking us. They have no knowledge of aqeedah. You could look at what, what do they talk about? Nothing. Uh, in terms of like the actual religion, aqeedah, tawheed, nothing. They don't teach it. They don't speak about it. Right? They don't value it. And they are the most confused and misguided in their positions. They have the most enmity and hatred towards the people of Tawheed and the Sunnah who speak with wisdom. Who speak with wisdom. Who speak to, to care genuinely for the, for the, for, for the lives of, of the Muslims and the welfare of the Muslims and the next. You see, they are the, most, they are the ones going to be swept away in the fitan. And unsurprisingly, we wouldn't be surprised if the other ones are going to end up following Dajjal when he comes, right? As we know about the Rafida, we'll follow him. The Khawarij will be in his midst, as we see in authentic hadith. And the Yahud are going to be with him as well. Some, not all, right? Because that hadith, as scholars explain, it's not all the Yahud. Some, some of the Yahud. And those that remain after Isa al-Islam kills him, they will become, they will become Muslim. Right? It's not all the Yahud. So... Uh, these are the types of people who are going to be put into fit, uh, tribulation. Why? Because they are speaking without knowledge, without grounding in Tawheed, without understanding and knowing the rules of Allah and His creation. And, um, you know, they, they speak with Jahl. So we have to be careful not to engage with these types of people. Um, we, ha we have enough to be involved in, in relation to ourselves, our families. Every man be concerned with himself um, and, and, you know, save himself and his family. Um, but this is very dangerous to speak to speak in these issues without knowledge, and they're going to, like I said, it is slowly going to be a separation between those who are grounded upon sound, authentic knowledge in which there's no role for emotion and sentiments, and between those who are just given to their hawa and their emotions and their feelings and their rage and their anger, right? And it's going to be like a divide like this, and the fitna are going to come, the tribulation is going to come. One group is going to be more and more cemented and the other people are just going to perish and go into ruin. And, and the dividing line is sound authentic knowledge, sound creed, sound methodology. That's what the determining thing is. So we shouldn't feel, you know, just because all these, these people are barking like dogs, as the Sheikh mentioned in his lecture. So we find some of them, they bark like dogs at you. Let them bark like dogs. Ignore them. Right? So that's, that's what I can say in brief. There's a lot, lot more to be said. But inshallah, that's, that's what, I, what I can say on the topic uh, very, very briefly. And Allah knows best. Uh, Allah knows best.